Marriage. My daughter was married this week, and as any parent can attest, this is a momentous occasion. Not only was she a lovely bride, but she married a handsome young man whom she has loved for years. We believe they've stepped forward into a beautiful new beginning as husband and wife. Whenever occasions like this occur for me, I always look for what God wants to teach me through these events, and I've been quite amazed at how scripture has burst into life as I've considered passages referring to the bride, the bridegroom, and the marriage feast of the Lamb. There's no doubt God often used the metaphor of a wedding to teach us great truths. We see it commencing even in the opening scriptures of the Bible when God creates Eve, especially for Adam. Recognizing it was not good for the man to be alone, God made a helper who was just right for him. Taking a portion of the man, he crafted a woman, and when the man saw her, he exclaimed, This is now bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh acknowledging that she was part of his very being. But more than that, Scripture explains that that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. One can certainly see, even from the beginning, not only the wonder of marriage and the beauty of the union that God intended, but he also gave us a picture of what our relationship was intended to be like with him. For in the same way, we were made in God's image to be his helper. Moreover, even as Adam was to forsake all others and cleave to his wife, we too are to forsake the world and cleave or be committed to God. It also says that the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. We are also to be open and exposed to God to allow his Holy Spirit to complete his ultimate work within us in order for us to be transformed into the image of his Son. Yet many of the verses that appear in the Bible about marriage relate to political or ungodly arrangements and not the glorious union that God intended. But there is one book, the Song of Solomon, devoted to marriage, which intimately describes the love between a bride and her bridegroom. The passion described in its eight chapters can make many of us blush, but as one commentator suggests, it's meant to indicate how God values romantic love and sexual union, expressing the beauty of this love as God intended it. This is especially needed in an age that diminishes the magnificent holiness of such a union by debasing it into something commonplace and tawdry. In numerous instances, God tries to pull our gaze away from the crudity of the world toward the beauty of God's holy intended union, especially as he attempts to show us how it is meant to reflect our union with God. We read this comparison in Isaiah 62. You will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid 
crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. This comparison is even more explicit in Paul's instructions to husbands in Ephesians 5, in which he tells them to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He then repeats the verse from Genesis 2, where a husband is to leave his family and join his wife in order to unite the two as one. The concluding, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. This is one of the many reasons that marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Is it any wonder then that Christ's first miracle occurred at a wedding? Jesus' mother had learned that the host had run out of wine for his gifts, and trusting her son's benevolence and miraculous ability, Mary came to Jesus with the request. Although initially reluctant, clearly Jesus had conferred with his heavenly father, for he instructed the workers to fill the ceremonial washing jars with water, and once filled, told them to dip out some of the liquid. Upon tasting the delicious elixir, remarks, a host always served the best wine first, but when everyone has a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best wine for now. Many remark from this passage the joy that Jesus brings to a marriage, but I want to further suggest that the wine Jesus created here is designed to represent the infilling of the Holy Spirit. For in this instance, Jesus shows that he provides the best wine for a marriage feast. He declares through this first miracle that he is the groom preparing the best for his bride, the church, the perfection and sweetness of the Holy Spirit that he brings to the union. Further, he provides the Holy Spirit in absolute abundance that all may drink and be satisfied. How can I say this? Well, in the next chapter of John, chapter 3, John the Baptist declares that Jesus is the bridegroom, stating, you yourselves know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Further, in John chapter 4, when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, he offers her living water, saying, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. A truth he repeats in John chapter 7. Hence, in John 2, we have a wedding in which Jesus turns water to wine. In chapter 3, John the Baptist declares Jesus is the bridegroom. And in chapter 4, Jesus offers us the living water that gives us eternal life. 
Nor is this the only place Jesus references a wedding. In Matthew 22, Jesus gives the parable of the marriage feast in which a king, the heavenly father, sends out his invitation for his sons, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ's wedding, to his bride, the church. Sadly, many refuse to come to the feast, just as many refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Further, when a guest is discovered who's not wearing the proper wedding clothes, those robes washed in the blood of the lamb, he's cast out. The parable concludes with a sobering statement, for many are called, but few are chosen. Further, in Matthew 25, Jesus teaches the parable of the ten virgins. In this lesson, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to ten virgins who are tasked to await the coming of the bridegroom. Five wise bridesmaids, bridesmaids have their lamps filled and ready, eager to await the arrival of the bridegroom. But five foolish bridesmaids are lax in their preparations and have failed to collect the necessary oil to keep their lamps lit. Hastily having to collect the oil for the lamps, they miss the bridegroom's arrival. The marriage feast starts and the doors are locked. In despair, they call out, Lord, Lord, open the door for us, but are told, I don't know you. The lesson, keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of Jesus' return. Finally, we see the fulfillment of the marriage feast of the Lamb described in Revelation 19. Jesus has returned for his own. The enemy is finally and completely defeated, and the songs of victory resound in heaven as a vast crowd shouts praises to God, rejoicing, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. Blessed are those who were invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. In the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Jesus, having given this message to the church, pronounces his final invitation, saying, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. This is his invitation to us not only through a wedding, but always. And so I say with him, Come. God bless you, beloved. God bless you.